If you have your copy of the Word of God, turn to Titus with me. Titus chapter 2. You, should, you guys should know that by now. I shouldn't even have to say anything. You should know it's going to be Titus chapter 2. We have been there for a while. Kirsten, I am so glad to see you. Come see. Regina's lonely. Regina is lonely. Regina was way up here by herself, and she felt awkward being up this far by herself. So Regina needs company. All right, Titus chapter 2, and we will look at verse number 5. But first, let's open in a word of prayer here together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I do thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I know that you have spoken to my heart this week as I have prepared. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts collectively as a group of women. Lord, I pray that we would be conformed to the image of your Son, that we would be more Christ-like, that we would truly be biblical in every aspect of our way of living. Lord, speak to us, I pray, both now and in the morning service. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Titus chapter 2, verse number 5, remember the last couple weeks we did a little review back to verse number 3, and remembering that the context is women in the church, specifically the older women having the responsibility to be certain things, and then to teach the younger women certain things. And we're in verse number 5. The word of God says to be discreet. We looked at that. Chaste has the idea of being pure. Keepers at home, good obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now, last week we looked at chaste, which has that idea of being really morally pure. And so you might think we're going to be on keepers at home, and you might be confused why your worksheet does not say that. But we actually, um, when we, I think it was like on lesson number three, we talked about being faithful in the aspect of the different roles God's given us. And in that lesson, we talked really a lot about faithfulness in the home, and so we really covered a lot of kind of the idea of being a keeper at home already. So I didn't want to be repetitive. So we move, we're moving today onto the word good. Good. Um, it's actually a very interesting word. It's a very interesting study this week for me personally to see what the word of God has to say about a woman who's good. And you'll see our lesson is titled, A Woman of Good Deeds. And we're actually going to spend two weeks on this. The Lord spoke to my heart so much this week. And this is such a foundational truth, but we need this in our lives. As Christians, as women, we need this principle in our church. And so we're going to spend two weeks on this, on this um, subject here, a woman of good deeds. And the Greek word for that word good is, once again, I'm not a Greek scholar, so I'm probably butchering it, but it's agathos or agathos, and it's the idea of being intrinsically good, good in one's very nature, good in one's very nature, in what you do, in what you say, being good, and having the idea of goodness in your very nature, a woman of good deeds. Um, we're going to go to a couple different passages, and we're going to look at women and passages of women where the Bible specifically talks about their good deeds that they did. Um, so turn with me to Acts. We're not going to stay in Titus. We're going to go to some other passages. Acts chapter 9. We're going to see, first of all, together, a biblical example of a woman who had good deeds, a biblical example of good deeds. And I tell you what, this convicted me. This passage convicted me. We're going to look at the life of a little-known woman, um, 
Maybe we've heard her name before. We probably have because she kind of has an unusual name. Um, but Scripture does not spend a lot of time on her, but what a testimony she had. And we're going to look at her life together here in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 36. We're looking at a biblical example of good deeds. This is going to help explain what God expects of these good deeds. And, and we'll allow it, Scripture to explain that idea more as we go along. Acts chapter 9, verse 36. I hope you're there. Remember, Acts is the Acts of the early church, okay? It says this. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, okay? Which by interpretation is called Dorcas. How many of you have heard of this lady before? Tabitha or Dorcas? You've probably heard of her because she has a little bit of an unusual name, right? Um, would you like to be named Dorcas? Maybe not the most flattering name, but this is her name nonetheless. But look what the word of God has to say about her. Continuing in verse 36, this woman was full of good works. That word good is the exact same Greek word we see in Titus chapter 2. Okay, so these correlate together. She was full, I circled that, full of good works. And, and once again, remember the definition of that word is just intrinsically good, good by her nature. She was full. Everything that came out of her life was goodness, was good works. And all the deeds which she did, look at verse 37. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick. So Tabitha, also named Dorcas, is sick and died. Whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. Um, verse 38. And for as much as Lida was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber. I want you to listen to this next part of the verse, because this is key. And all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed and turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Okay, short story, but what a powerful testimony of this lady's life. Here's Dorcas, and she is known. Her reputation in the early church is that she was full of good, of good works. Okay, that's what she's known by. What a great testimony. Do you know we're all known by something? Um, I don't know if you've ever played this game. Uh, Regina, I played this in youth group when I was little. Um, and if I'm trying to remember exactly how we did it, we all had a piece of paper. It's kind of like a crowd-breaking um, a game, a, a crowd breaker, you could say. And um, we all had a piece of paper and we wrote our name on it. Okay, so Rebecca. And then when the youth leader said go, we all had a pen and we had to go around to everybody else's. We had to find everybody else in the youth group and we had to write a word that came to our mind to describe them. Okay, and hopefully you did something nice. Okay, but if you were like, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm tall, so somebody could have put tall or whatever to describe me. But the first thing that came to your mind to describe that person, um, maybe you've played another game like that. Um, I've heard of games, and I think I've even played them before, where you say, like, 
um, a famous person's name and the first thing that comes to mind, right, when you think of that name. Well, this passage really made me think. At the day of my death, because this is what happens in the story, Tabitha dies, what would I be remembered for? You know, we all can be remembered for lots of things. Maybe we're a great cook. That's a good thing to be remembered for. Um, maybe you have a great fashion sense, okay? Maybe um, you just have an outgoing personality. There's lots of things we can be known for. And the truth of the matter is, um, I mean, we all have a word that comes to mind. Even, you know, when we think of somebody, don't we have a thought that pops to mind of them? And what Dorcas, or what Tabitha is known for, is her good works, which she does. And so we see that Tabitha dies, and she's loved so much. She's loved so much by the church that they go and find Peter and bring Peter. And do you know why would they bring? Why would they bring Peter? Well, I really think they go get Peter with the expectation that Peter is going to do something. That Peter, you know, they know the power that God um, has enabled Peter, and they go to Peter with the expectation that he's going to do something. And and I love verse 39. When Peter comes to this upper chamber where her body is at, all the widows, that's, where, that's who she ministered to. I'm sure there were others, but the widows. And what do they have? They have the coats and the garments that she's made them lovingly. And can you imagine they're just showing him? Like, Peter, can you do something for Tabitha? She loved us. Look what, look what she did for us. Um, and they're there weeping. They have such great love for Tabitha because of her good works and her kindness she showed to others. And so um, Peter is able, the Lord enables Peter to bring her back to life. Um, now, obviously, verse 42 really tells us why this story is in the word of God. It's so that God's power could be seen um, in bringing Tabitha back to life. But I think there's another lesson, and it's the power of, and the, the power of a life lived for others. And a power, the power of a life lived, as it uh, said of Tabitha, full of good works. Full of good works. Um, and I mentioned this briefly, but, you know, I thought about this this week. How will people respond to the news of my death? <laughs> you know, truth of the matter is we all know people. And maybe when they die, I mean, you're sad, but you're like, I mean, the truth of the matter is maybe we wouldn't want some people brought back to life. You know what I'm saying? But the early church, they wanted Tabitha to be brought back to life because of her testimony, her reputation of good works. Um, are you a woman whose life is defined by the good works you do for others? Tabitha's life was defined. This is all we know of Tabitha, and what a sweet story it is. Um, do you know if there's any group of people that should be known for their good works to others, it should be Christians. But I don't think that's the world's view of most Christians. I mean, what, what, I mean, truthfully, what is kind of the stereotype of a lot of Christians by the world? Well, maybe it's we're known for our opinions or we're known for um, being hypocritical, right? How many times have you invited somebody to church and they're like, oh, I'm not going back to church, right? I was in one and it's just a bunch of hypocrites. Um, maybe Christians are known for being judgmental um, in our nature. The truth of the matter is the world is a lot better at doing good deeds than the church is. I mean, isn't that true? How many great charity organizations are that their whole purpose is simply to do good, right, to others? 
And this truth of the matter is, it should be said of us that we are full of good works. And that is what the lost world should be seeing. Okay, not obviously just our good works, but through our good works, they should be seeing Christ. Okay, but we should be known for our good deeds. We should be known for our good works. Um, we're going to look at another passage here together, and we're going to see a biblical list of good deeds. Now, this is a really interesting passage to me. Um, I don't know that I've ever, I mean, I'm sure I've read this passage, I've read through the Bible before, but I've never considered this passage before. It's honestly a little bit unusual, and at first you might think, what does this have to do with our topic? But stick with me, because we're going there. Turn to 1 Timothy. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. We've been spending a lot of time in 1 Timothy and Titus, so we know the context. 1 Timothy, written to Timothy, a young pastor, just like Titus, and Paul is giving Timothy instructions as to how the church is to be structured, how it is to be run, how Timothy as a man of God is to conduct himself. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 1. Okay, we're going to start at verse number 1 just to give ourselves some context, okay? So we've seen a biblical example of good deeds, Tabitha, her whole reputation, and it changed the lives of people around her. Um, and then we're going to see a list of some good deeds that God expects in our lives as women. First Timothy chapter 5, verse number 1. Okay, Paul's giving some instructions, once again, to Timothy as to how the church is to be structured. Okay, so verse number 1, just for context, says, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a brother, and the younger men as brethren. The younger women, or the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. Okay, so Paul is giving Timothy instructions. Hey, Timothy, in the church, this is how you're to treat the older men, the younger men, the older women, the younger women. And then look at verse 3. Okay, because now he comes to different group of people. He's going to give Timothy some specific instructions as to how the church is to treat widows. Okay, kind of an interesting passage. Look what verse number three says. Honor, honor widows that are widows indeed. Okay, that's an interesting study, a word. Okay, widows indeed. Okay, so look at verse number four because he's going to explain himself. If any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Okay, so what, what Paul is basically saying is the church is to honor widows, and he uses the phrase widows that are truly widows indeed. Okay, so that phrase kind of is like widows that don't have anybody else to care for them, right? And that's what he's saying in verse 4. Um, you know, if a widow has some children or nieces and nephews, well, then they need to step up and care for her essentially. Um, now look at verse number five. Now she that is a widow indeed, okay, a widow who truly is no one else, no children, no nieces and nephews, nobody to care for her, and desolate, trusteth in God, and continueth in supplications and prayers day and night, verse six, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth, verse seven, and these things give in charge that they may be blameless, verse eight, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Okay, this is, verse 9 is really where we're going, okay? In verse 9 and 10, he's going to give, and I think this is interesting too, this is completely off topic, but um, really the church is only 
expected to help really a certain type of widows, I guess you could say. Look at verse 9. Let not a widow be taken into the number under three score years old, having been the wife of one man. Okay, so verse 9 and 10, Paul says, here are the widows that the church needs to help support. And he lists some characteristics of them. Um, verse 9 says they're supposed to be um, uh, three score years old, so 60. Okay, don't, don't take them into the number on, if they're under 60. Well, why? They need help too. Well, they're past the marrying age, okay? They're probably not going to remarry if they're over 60. And, and so if they meet all these other uh, qualifications, requirements, then the church needs to step in and help care for them, okay? So they're supposed to be 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, okay? They're to have been faithful to their husband while he was alive. And then look at verse number 10, okay? Well reported of for good works. Isn't that interesting? The church did not have, I guess you could say, the responsibility. Um, the church did not have the expectation of them to take care of every widow. Truly, the widows that the church was supposed to help support, one qualification of them is they were women who were well reported of for their good works. And that word good is the same word we see used of Tabitha and the same word we see used in Titus chapter 2. Well, now where this is really interesting is it lists out some of those good works that these widows are to be known for, okay? And these good works should not just be in the widows' lives. They should be in all of our lives as women, okay? But the point is that Paul was saying, hey, the women that live this type of life, that have a life well-reported for good works, the church should honor them, and the church should come along and support them. Um, so look at this list of, first of good works, okay? The first thing is if she had brought up children. If she had brought up children. Do you know the first good deed, good work, we should see in our life is that we have attention to our own home. Um, I think this is so important. When we think about the idea of doing good, and producing a life of good works, it has to begin in the home. It has to begin in the home. Um, do you know, unfortunately for many of us, and I can be so guilty of this, I think we all can, we're humans after all, um, but the home can be maybe the last place that sees our good works, right? Um, it, our husband and children, they might see our frustration and our anger um, and our annoyance to them, but do they see our good works? Do they see our good works? Good works should start, they should begin in the home. Um, and I have to ask myself this question, do I go out of my way to do good works in my home? Do I go out of my way to do good works in my home? And things that are not expected, right? Like I could say, oh, well, I made a meal, that's a good work. Well, yes, but that's one of my, that goes back to being a keeper at home. That's kind of one of my duties right? My basic responsibilities as a wife, as a mother. Do we go out of our way to do good works in our homes? Um, another thing that comes to mind when I think of this uh, phrase, let me stay in my notes here so I don't lose what the phrase was, um, the phrase of to, uh, bringing up children, um, and I say this a warning to myself, um, is that when you do serve, I think we have to be careful. Um, I know I've seen so many, and I'm sure many of you could agree, where the children of, of pastors have been kind of 
kind of lost. Do you know what I mean? Where it seems like the parents have spent so much time doing good works to others that they almost neglect their own home. They neglect their own children. Um, and I have to remind myself not to let my children, my child, be lost uh, to the demands of the ministry. Um, be careful. Don't be so busy doing good to others that you neglect your own home. Good works have to start in the home. And at the same time, don't say, oh, I can't do any good works to others because, you know, I have my own at home. Um, I think the greatest way um, to really help your kids understand this idea of good works is take them with you, right? Take your kids with you to do good works to others. Um, if you're visiting shut-ins, take, take them with you. Um, they might drive you crazy, but that's okay. Take them with you, you know? And take them with you to do those things. And you're, t you're investing in them, and you're teaching them through that. So good works have to begin in the home. Attention to the home. That's a good work. That's the first thing that's listed is how she brought up children, how she ministered to her own home. It's listed as a good work. Then the second good work we see that these widows did was the good deed or the good work of hospitality. The next phrase that's mentioned there in verse 10 is if she have lodged strangers. I find this so interesting that Paul says, hey, the widows in the church that you're to honor, that the church is maybe to financially support, they need to have a life that exemplifies these very things, okay? They've paid attention to their own home and they're women given to hospitality. If she have lodged strangers. Um, I looked up the word hospitality just in our English dictionary. And here is a definition of hospitality according to the Merriam-Webster dictionary. Okay? The friendly and generous reception and entertainment of three kinds of people. That's what the dictionary says. Guests, visitors, or strangers. I think that's interesting. Hospitality is towards guests, people you know, you've invited, right? You know. Visitors, okay, probably people you don't know as well, right? Um, and then strangers, people you have no relation to. It's the friendly and generous reception of these type of people. Um, hospitality. Are you a person given to hospitality? How do you use your home? How do you use your home? Do you open up your home to others? How do you use your possessions? Are you hospitable? I think sometimes we think of hospitality as, you know, having somebody over for a meal. Well, great, you know, that's hospitality, definitely. But hospitality is your possessions. Hey, oh, you need a ride somewhere? Sure, let me give you a ride. Using your car to be hospitable. Um, your money, right? Your abilities, you can be hospitable with them. Um, are you a hospitable person? Now, I understand to some extent, some of us have natural hospitable personalities, right? Some of us do not know a stranger. Um, that is my husband's personality. He can go up and talk to anyone about anything. That is not my personality as much. I have to work at it. Um, I don't know if my husband's ever said it here. Um, he might have mentioned it, but my husband, especially um, in Texas, would have a goal, um, and it was a little bit easier when he wasn't the pastor because he was a little bit freer, but he had a goal on Sunday morning to try and shake everybody's hand in the auditorium. Well, why? He just wanted to be hospitable, to say hello to people, to greet them. Okay, that's my husband's personality. 
That is not that is not my personality in and of itself. I would be fine with, you know, I'm fine with saying hello to people and stuff, but that's not my hospitality, just going up to people and I don't always think, I'm like, oh, what do I say, you know? I don't know. Um, but to be hospitable, it's something we have to work at. Some of it is not our nature. Some of it are, is our nature. Some of you know, you know, no stranger. But some of us have to work at it. It's something that we can learn because remember in Titus chapter two, good works and hospitality as being one of them is something that should be taught by the older women to the younger women. So it's something that we can learn to do. Hey, how about hospitality in the house of God? We can all work at this, right? Um, being hospitable to guests, visitors, and strangers that come through these doors, inviting them to sit by you, being the first to greet them and jumping up. You know, hospita uh, hospitality requires us to give something. Um, it requires an effort to be made, right? If you're gonna have somebody over to your home, that requires effort, right? <laughs> you have to make sure the house is presentable, you have to make sure you have a meal cooked. It requires work. It requires time. It requires money. But hospitality is listed as a Christian duty. Okay? This is not a suggestion. This is a Christian duty. Um, I want you to listen to these verses. If you have fast fingers, you can turn there. But I want us to see what the Word of God says about hospitality. Um, it's mentioned very often in the Word of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 13. You can jot down these references if you don't have time to turn to them with me. Um, Romans chapter 12 verse 13 says this and in this chapter let me just say this it lists off a whole list of things that should be seen in our lives as Christians okay it's really duties in the Christian life okay and the previous verses list, list a whole lot of just basic things that should be in every Christian's life and verse 13 says distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality if there's something we should give ourselves toward it's the effort of being hospitable. Um, Hebrews verse 13, or chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 say this. Let brotherly love continue. Hey, brotherly love. Isn't that something we should all have? We've talked about love in previous weeks. Let brotherly love continue. Well, how do we let brotherly love continue? Verse chapter 2 says this. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. That's being hospitable. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Um, not only is, and there's more passages we could look at, not only is hospitality, well, that can be a tricky word to say, not only is hospitality a Christian's duty, um, but it is one of the qualifications for church leadership. It's, again, a mark of Christian maturity, right? Because if you're going to be a leader in the church, you should be a mature Christian, right? And, and so it's mentioned several times as a qualification for church leadership, okay? Hospitality is a mark of how mature you are spiritually. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 says this, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality. And it's almost kind of a, I think it's almost interesting that it's stuck in there. You know, you talk about being blameless from sin, um, being faithful to your wife, vigilant, sober, good behavior, right? These seem like really important things. And then there's hospitality. And I think in most of our minds, hospitality is probably not as maybe important as the rest. But the word of God says hospitality is so important. Titus chapter 1 verse 7. Uh, for a bishop must be blameless. 
as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. Verse 8 says, but a lover of hospitality. Hey, we should be lovers of hospitality. It's something we should enjoy doing, enjoy finding the guests, visitors, and strangers that we can be hospitable towards. And remember, hospitality is not just inviting somebody over to our home. Hospitality is the little actions, the little, the little things we do, okay? So hospitality, that's one of the good deeds that should be seen in our life. And then we continue looking at this list in 1 Timothy, and the next one we see is humility, humility. In verse number 10, continuing through the list, it says, if she have washed the saints' feet. Okay, the widows that were to be honored, the widows that were widows indeed, were widows that were not just um, past a certain age, not just women who had nobody else to care for, not just women who were faithful to their husbands, but women that were known by their good deeds, one of which was washing the saints' feet. Now, we know the the historical, right, um, importance to that. Okay, we know the customs of that day when it comes to washing feet. And obviously, we don't do that today, right? We don't wear sandals everywhere. So we don't need somebody at the door of our house to wash our feet as we take off our sandals. But the principle is here humility. Turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. This is the passage where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And the whole reason Jesus does this action is so he can teach a principle. John chapter 13, and um, let's look, well, for sake of review, okay, let's just uh, walk through this passage a little bit, okay? Remember verse number five of chapter 13, it tells us how the word of God takes the water, takes the basin, and remember he comes to Peter, and Peter's like, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus' response is, um, well, and then Peter says, thou shalt never wash my feet, And Jesus answers him and said in verse 8, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And then do you remember Peter's answer? I've always kind of found this funny. Oh, Lord, not just my feet, right? But my whole body. (laughs) Wash my head. Wash all of me. Um, And then um, let me see here. Verse 13. Let's look at verse 13. Jesus says this. You call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. Isn't that where all of us are? We would all call Jesus Christ our master and our Lord. Of course we would. Verse 14. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Why did Jesus do that? It's an example. He's trying to teach them something. And here's what he's trying to teach them. Hey, if I, your Lord and Master, can humble myself to do the duties of the lowest servant, isn't that what you should be doing? If I'm your Lord and Master, then that's what you should be doing. And you shouldn't just be doing it, but it says you should be happy when you're doing that. Humility. Humility. That's one of the good deeds that should come out of our lives as biblical woman is humility. What do you consider to be beneath you? I asked myself that question this week. 
what do I consider to be beneath me? I think we all have things, right? I would do anything except that. That is beneath who I am. How far are we willing to go to do good? See, the widows in this passage, they were willing to wash the saints' feet. They were willing to wash the, the saints' feet, the feet of others, Christians. They were able to lower themselves. Um, you know, some of us do good, but it's only to those that are in our social standing or maybe in the same race as us, or we do good to only those that live a certain type of life, right? We're willing to do good, but only to a certain extent. We're not willing to lower ourselves to a certain level. How far are we willing to do go to do good? Uh, one of the good deeds that we should have in our lives is humility. And then lastly, we see the good deeds that these uh, widows had was that of ministering to the needy. Verse 10 says, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted. The widows that were to be honored, the women that were to be lifted up in the church as truly widows indeed, as women that lived exemplary lives, were women who relieved the afflicted. Do we minister to the needy? You know, this idea of ministering to the needy involves helping those in any kind of difficulty and giving them really any kind of assistance. It's a very broad thing. Relieve the afflicted. It doesn't classify what those afflicted are, right? If they were afflicted because they were poor, they were afflicted because they were uh, sick, or they were afflicted, it doesn't say. She just, they relieved the afflicted. You know, if we're going to minister to the needy, it implies that we're looking for the needy. Do you know, I think sometimes my biggest fault is why I don't do good, is I'm just not looking for opportunities to do good. Isn't it true? We just, we get wrapped up in our own life, right? We have our own set of problems, and we just don't think to look for the afflicted, to look for the needy. We're caught up in, and we all have problems, and we all have things we're going through, and sometimes we feel like we're the needy, and we're the ones that we need to be ministered to, but if we're going to be full of good deeds, um, we have got to learn to minister to the needy and to look beyond our own problems and to look for the needs of others. So the question is, are we women of good deeds? Um, that word good has a lot in it. And for me, seeing Tabitha as a woman full of good deeds and to see the descriptions given as these widows, this really helped me understand the context. Because remember, these, these same words are all the words we see in Titus chapter 2. Are we women of good deeds? You know, doing good isn't a life of, of glamour and receiving attention, right? Don't expect to, you know, see your name in, you know, the daily news as, oh, look what this person did for the community. But it starts in the home. It starts in the home. It's simply living a life of hospitality, humility, and a life of ministering to the needy. But do you know what it is? It's a sign of Christian maturity what it is. It's a sign of a woman who is maturing in her Christian faith, who's, who's growing into the image of Jesus Christ. I mean, think of Jesus Christ. Wasn't Jesus Christ anything hospitable, humble, ministering to the needy? I mean, doesn't that describe who he was in his very being? Are we full of good works, full of good deeds? Um, I think the truth of the matter is we can all do better. We can all do better. 
I hope you'll spend some time this week to look at the back to the personal application there. And I hope you'll, you'll I really hope you'll uh, consider it's kind of a little rating system on the back. Hey, how am I right now at hospitality? And be honest with yourself. And then how can I improve in this area of good deeds? You know, if anybody should be known for their good deeds, it should be us. It should be the Christians. Um, are we full of good deeds like Tabitha? Are we full of good deeds? Um, I hope that we are. I hope you'll look at our memory verse. That's such a good verse for this week. Um, doing good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. Hey, and we'll talk more about next week because we're going to stay on the subject two weeks. Because I just think it's so, it's so where we live, right? Um, but especially, it, good deeds starts at home and it starts in the house of God, especially to those of the household of faith. So will you look for ways to do good this week? Look for ways to do good. Um, a couple years ago, I've got to be done here, so I'll be quiet soon. Um, but a couple years ago, there was kind of this thing trending, random acts of kindness. Do you guys remember that? I think it was like on social media, it was like a challenge, right? And people would like randomly do nice things, like they would tape money to a gas pump um, or tape quarters to a laundry, uh, laundry mat machine or whatever. Um, it was just random kindness, random good deeds. And, you know, as a Christian, that should be part of our everyday life. That should be who we are. We should be full of good deeds as biblical women. So I hope you'll be challenged. I hope you're convicted. I was convicted this week. as like, man, I need to be better at just doing good, doing good to others. Um, so Lord, help us. And I hope, you'll, I hope you'll make a goal of some people you can show good to this week. Let's close in a word of prayer.